0: Hey, Christ community, how you guys doing? Good? All right. Nice to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Daryl Holden. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, that was a great moment of worship. Thanks for being part of that. Those of you who are online, I'm glad that you're here today. And so good to be able to um, meet with you. Like, Happy Thanksgiving week. It's coming, right? Um, you know, it depends on where you look, but it feels like we were just, we jumped from Halloween and everybody's now talking about Christmas. but like, we have Thanksgiving coming this week, so... Um, Really grateful for you, grateful for the chance that we have to be together. I was thinking about Thanksgiving, and um, so I, one joke, just one, so, so oh boy, I love, yeah. Um, you are prepared, you're prepared. So if the pilgrims were alive today, what would they be known for? Their age. Thank you. Um, I'll be here for the next 35 minutes. Yeah, that's why there's only one joke, because they're just bad. Marie said, I've got to stop doing this, and I said, I can't quit cold turkey, so. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So I'll be here for the next 34 minutes. Now, Um, God, I'm so glad to be with you. It's it's good to see you, really excited about this. I'm really enjoying this little series that we're in from 2 Corinthians, I hope you are too. I'm really grateful for what we get to talk about today. Um, What we're talking about today really picks up on the theme we talked about last week. And so um, if you weren't with us, I would really recommend that you go back and catch that online. So last week, we're looking at some words written by the Apostle Paul to the ancient church at Corinth and to us as well. So last week, he, he had this image, he talked about how we have this treasure in jars of clay. And this treasure that he's talking about there is it's the life and light of Jesus that that has been gifted to us by God's grace. So we have this life and light of Jesus that is eternal in its in its duration, but also eternal really in its in its scope and its impact and its meaning. So we have this life and light of Jesus in, in us, but this jar of clay it's our humanness it's our human weakness it's not just it's not just our physical body it's it's all the weaknesses that come with being a human being living in a world that has just been impacted by sin and so what what the apostle paul did for us is those of us who are suffering he reminded us that it's this treasure that keeps you know that pressure that suffering puts on us is this treasure inside of us that really keeps you know from imploding it's, so we're we're pressed but we are we are not crushed and we are like we're struggling but we're not abandoned and, and so he talks about you know we're, we're we might we might really be hurting but we're not in despair we're not without hope and what he points to for that is is the reason that you and I get to live with hope even though we are human in these jars of clay that eventually wear out is the hope is eternal so I just want to throw this one verse up on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse fourteen. This is from last week. He's pointing to he's pointing to resurrection, and he says we we have hope because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to Himself. He say, like, Hey, <laughs> there's hope, and the reason there's hope is because there's resurrection. There's there's eternity with Jesus. And so we're gonna pick up on that idea of resurrection, of hope, of eternity with Jesus. There's, a, there's another little piece to that that he, that he throws out there for us. And so we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses nine and 10 are the verses that we're gonna make most of our time around today. And so he's, he's been talking about we have, this, we have this future hope, this promise of face-to-face with Jesus and so 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, it says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what's due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So he, he gives us this idea of, of this judgment seat that Jesus sits on. So, so ancient Corinth they would have had an idea for this, so I just I grabbed this picture here for you from the website that I've got listed there. Almost every Christian person who goes to Corinth on a tour takes a picture of this and puts it on a blog of some sort. So if you wanted to look, there's a lot of a lot of places online you can look for this. But this was a particularly good picture. And so it, that little um, that little pillar thing there, that short little pillar thing, I believe that was the that was the judgment seat. That. So this is what, when he writes those words, the judgment seat, this is what the people in the church, of ancient Corinth, they would have been thinking about this spot, and they would have been thinking about that seat there where the judge would have sat. And really, for them, what happened at that judgment seat is fairly close to what happens like at a county courthouse that you and I would be familiar with. It there's. A lot of different kinds of legal matters that happen there, and, and same with this judgment seat in ancient Corinth, and there would be a place where, you know, if there's a press conference that some politician or some leader wants to make a, you know, particular impression, they might be at the courthouse steps with the courthouse in the background, and that was there would be particular announcements and important, weighty things for the community that would happen at this spot, and so. He was calling this spot to their mind, saying to them, hey, we're going to all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And and he's offering that in this same little context of, hey, there's, there's a future for us. There's eternity for us. This life is short. The next life is long. And so someday we're gonna all appear before Jesus and be judged. So I don't know how that makes you feel. So I thought I would tell you that there's really two judgments that the Bible speaks about with any kind of detail, and so I wanna just kinda break those down for you a little bit. First one I wanna talk about is actually in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 20, the first judgment is, it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And so that's in Revelation 20, and if you read through, I think it starts about verse 10 or 11, through a chunk of the chapter there, you can, you can read about that. But what you'll read, just to break it down, the judge on this great white throne is Jesus. So the apostle John's writing Revelation, he says, man, I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it, heaven and earth fled from him. It is, he is it is power, it is majesty, it is authority and, and, and so Jesus is there on that throne and everybody, every person is going to, like that is, that is a judgment for every person and what's at issue is faith in Jesus. So so the question at that judgment is, what do you think of Christ? What what do you think of Jesus? What what role did he play in your life? And, And how we answer that question makes all the difference because what is at stake for us at that judgment is eternal destiny. The people The people who recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior who died on the cross to rescue them from their sins, who have put their faith in him, there's life. And the people who have come to a different conclusion about Jesus for them, there's death, eternal death. And so there is, eternity is at stake at at this great white throne judgment. Gospel of John, chapter three. Starting in verse 16. First verse of this little section here is incredibly familiar to to most of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that is absolutely true. That whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So so the people of the world are on a course that is, from which they need rescue. We are headed towards death. And God loves us, and because he loves us, he sent his son into the world so that we could be saved through Jesus. And, And then as the gospel writer John is writing this out, he says, whoever believes in him and Jesus is not condemned. So the people who believe in Jesus have nothing to fear or worry about at this great white throne judgment. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So, so what do you do with Jesus is, like that is the issue of that great white throne judgment and those of us who, who embrace him as our rescuer, and are putting our hope, our confidence in his sacrificial, substitutionary death, which means he died in your place, he died in my place. Because he did not die for his own sins, he died for our sins. And we trust his death for the covering, for the forgiveness of our sins, and we are trusting in his resurrection life for our eternity, it's not something we're trying to earn or deserve on our own, it's, we're, we're pointing at Jesus, those, Those of us who land in that are not condemned, we have eternal life, and those who have a different answer about Jesus stand condemned already. And I think that's a really interesting statement, stand condemned already, and so there's this, that those of us who are walking this road and have not yet fixed our eyes on Jesus, those of us who are walking this, like we're just going the way of humanity, written over that way is condemned and are heading for like that being a final statement, final sentence. And the awesome news is that God so loved the people of the world, he loved the world, so he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish, not, will, will have eternal life. And so, so until your last breath, until your last breath, you, you have the option to, because what's at stake here, you hear, how many times does it say it in these verses here, believe in Jesus. Until your last breath, you have the option to believe in Jesus and receive this gift that God wants to give to people, to all of us of eternal life. And so this great white throne judgment is really the only issue, the central issue of this great, this this last judgment is, is where do you stand with Jesus? Where's your faith? What's do you, do you stand with him, or have you walked your own way? And that's, that's that great white throne judgment. That's a scary one. Um, the second one is this judgment seat of Christ here that we just read about. And you know these verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, are probably, they're the ones that mention it like the clearest, and then in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, which is a letter Paul wrote to the same church a little earlier, he he talks about it and kind of fleshes it out a little bit. So in this judgment seat of Christ, the judge, again, is Jesus. And so we've seen in these two judgments, the judge is the same person. And I, I think this, I think this forces us to think about you know, who Jesus is and what this says about him. And I think we're all really comfortable with the idea of Jesus being savior. And whether you believe that or not, I don't know. But we're comfortable with the idea of Jesus being our savior. We we need somebody to rescue us. God sent him. He's our rest, he's our rescuer you know we're headed towards christmas and so christmas is nice and little baby jesus in the manger and all that kind of stuff and easter resurrection from the dead those are great holidays when we celebrate great things and we're comfortable with jesus being our savior jesus sits he sits as judge and so there's there's authority in that he sits on he sits on those judgment seats and so that lord and as north americans people who live in north america most of us this is not a term that is part of our everyday life. We don't, don't really look to anybody else and say, Lord, you know, but that's a that's a position of authority. And and Jesus sits in a He sits in a seat over humankind. And you know, if you read through the New Testament, if you've been around church, you've heard, you've heard that the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord isn't his first name, Jesus' middle name, Christ's last name, it's a title that the writers of the New Testament apply to him because he is, he's Lord over us. And and so to think about what that means in your relationship with Jesus, that he's, he's Lord, or if I could just kind of really put it down, like he's kind of the boss of you. (laughs) We like to be the boss of ourselves, but he takes that role in our lives. If he's, he expects to be Lord over his people. He's, he is judge. He's in Acts chapter 18. The apostle Paul is talking to some people and, and he is just reminding them that there is, like that God has appointed Jesus to be judge over all human beings. And that, that needs to form our thinking about who Jesus is, that he is Lord and he is judge and as lord and judge part of what he does then is he rewards people so we are going to all appear before jesus as our judge that great white throne judgment those who have put their faith in him are rewarded with eternal life and those of us who have who are believers will stand before him at this judgment seat of christ where he rewards us and so so this this really creates some gap in my mind, the way I think about it, this creates some gap that Jesus is, He is the God man, right? He is fully God, He is fully human, two natures in one person, and this is heady theological stuff. If you ask me how that happens, I don't know, it's miraculous. But two, two natures in one person, and we rightly see him as one of us. He is he's human but he is also fully god and so when we start thinking about standing like he's going to present us to himself as paul uses those words we're going to stand before god the son who is fully human and fully god and so so we think of him more comprehensively than just you know little baby jesus who came to be our savior christmas time he is he is Lord, judge, and rewarder of his people. And so, so this, this judgment seat of Christ, he, sits, he still sits as judge, and then those being judged, each believer in Jesus. It's, this, is a, this is a moment for Christian people, for Christ followers, for those who have put their faith in Jesus as their savior, and there are a number of reasons biblically for, for coming to this conclusion. And just for our time together this weekend, I thought I would just I would show you just from the image that the Apostle Paul uses what the people in ancient Corinth are thinking. And so, so this pic here, you see, you see, this is kind of the layout of the center of the city of Corinth. And again, I grabbed this from this lady's website and her she did the work on this, and so you can see that, you know, where it came from down there. The bottom of that picture, but you see that this is, this is the center of the city of Corinth and this judgment seat is in the center of the city. So this is, this is not a judgment that takes place at the gates of the city to decide whether or not you get in. This is, this is the place where citizens would go that they had access to where they might be called to this is a this is not a place for outsiders to see if they get in. This is the place for insiders to to come and participate in the judicial system of ancient Corinth. And so that first group of Christian people who are reading this letter, they're not they're not wondering about, oh, is this a am I in or out kind of kind of decision? This is this is a I'm answering. This is where I'm going to answer as a citizen going to be answering for what I've been called to this judgment seat uh, to answer for or to receive what I've been called to this judgment seat to be given. And so so this is for this is for believers. And you know again going back to verses 9 and 10, we all we all all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So so you get to stand before the judgment seat of Christ if you're a believer in Jesus, each one of us here, I I get to do that. As well, we all get to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, so these, these are for Christian people, believers in Jesus, and what is at stake here, the issue is about our faithfulness, whether we have been faithful, and I just kinda added, and full of faith. So just to take those two pieces about faithfulness and full of faith, and what that means, so as a believer in Jesus, you have like we have this treasure in jars of clay, right? We have the life, the life and light of Jesus in us. And it is a grace gift that he gives to his people. We have his life and his light in us, and like all his gifts, it's for us, but it's not just for us, it's to be shared. And, and so, so there's, what's at issue, at this judgment seat of Christ is how you have treasured this life and light that he has entrusted to you. And so so I talk about faithful and full of faith. Faithful, and I don't mean this in, hear me rightly on this. Faithful kind of starts with did you obey the rules? which I, I hate to say those words almost, but when we think about what it means to be a Christian and what living the life and light of Jesus means, all this, we kinda have some stuff that bubbles to the top of our minds, right? And, and some of what bubbles up is right and some of it's wrong for all of us. But the stuff that comes out of the scriptures that comes from the Lord, like did we, Paul writes, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. So did we did we walk in a manner worthy of a gospel? And he's talking about how do you live? Do you live your life in alignment with what the scriptures call us to? And there are there are moral statements in the scripture, and there are priority statements in the scripture. And so, so do we live our lives in line with this these moral codes and these priorities that have been given to us? Did we live our line our lives in line with that? And what happens? And the reason I've got these two distinctions here, what happens is when you get into generations of Christian people like we've experienced in this country and in other parts around the world, Christianity becomes a culture. So we're our own little culture in, you know, North America, a little subculture. And it's easy to live within the mores of our subculture, but not really engage with Jesus. And so this isn't. This judgment isn't just did you follow the rules, right? Did you walk the straight and narrow? It's, it's not just did you walk the straight and narrow? Did you, you know, did you get along well within our Christian subculture? It's not just about faithfulness, it's about being full of faith. And, and when I say that, I'm thinking about like Abraham in the Old Testament who God shows up to him and says, hey, man, I want you to go to this place that I'm gonna show you. It's that way. And <laughs> so he just, he just packs up and he starts going that way. That is, that is, not, just, that is not just faithful. That is, that is full of faith. He just, he risked it all on who God is and what God had said to him and where God said to go. It's obedience. And so he, you know, he risked it all with Abraham. I'm thinking about Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story from ancient prophet Daniel where they were commanded to bow down to this idol and the price tag if you didn't bow down was you got thrown into the fire. And they they looked at the guys and just said, we worship the Lord God and we don't bow down to idols and God's gonna rescue us and if he doesn't, we still don't bow down to idols, burn us up. Gutsy kind of, faithful faithful but full of faith i'm thinking about there's a lady so jesus and his disciples are sitting it's the way it gets described in the gospels this it's kind of like they're sitting up on a hill and they're looking down into the temple courts and people are bringing their offerings and the rich people are you know blowing the trumpets and throwing in all the money and whatever so that it clatters around and everybody knows how much money they're throwing into the deal and this little widow lady comes by and she puts in all she has. <laughs> and Jesus looks at his guys and it's like, that's, that's what I'm talking about there, that she, she is not just faithful to give, but she's full of faith, she's just casting herself on our Father for provision. Thinking about, the lady who, you know, Jesus went to dinner at a religious leader's house, invited guests to a religious leader's house, and the guy really just treated him like he was somebody, like he'd done Jesus a favor by bringing him to his home. And while Jesus is at the table, there's this lady behind him, and she is she's weeping in his presence, and she pours her most valuable t- treasures on his feet, and she just gave it all to him, right there in those moments of just, of and it was just this act of love and worship to him, So not, not in line with the cultural mores of faithful, but full of faith. And in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, that if you, if you're wondering about what does this full of faith thing look like in a regular person's life, that chapter just, person after person after person after person. And for some of them it turned out awesome and for some of them it turned out it was really difficult, like it just led to suffering, but full of faith. It just led them there. And and so this is, this is that moment, this judgment seat of Christ is that moment where, where we're gonna stand before him and we're gonna have a conversation about what we did with his life and his light in us and faithfulness and full of faith and what's at stake in all of that is eternal rewards. This is not about in or out. If that's the great white throne judgment, that's about faith in Jesus. This judgment is for people who have faith in Jesus and have received his life and light and this one is about eternal rewards. And, and we know some about that from the scriptures, we don't know a lot about that and we certainly don't know how it all plays out talks about different crowns that Jesus gives to people, and I kinda scratch my head about that because that's not part of our context, and so I don't, like I believe that that's happening, but I don't really understand exactly what that means. But if you read 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, and I would really recommend you do, we don't have time to read it and walk through it all this weekend, but if you read 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, it talks about reward and loss. And those are the two things that happen at this, at this judgment. There's, there's reward and there's loss. And and as, as the Apostle Paul writes that ancient church at Corinth and to us and we read these words, he he talks through, so we make it our aim to please him, right? We, we make it our aim to please him because we're gonna stand before him. So this judgment seat of Christ thing, really for me, I think it creates tension, right? I don't know if it creates tension for you. It creates tension for me thinking about this because the tension points are grace, divine acceptance with God. And this is true, this is true. So, So wherever you are, whatever kind of mess you're sitting in, Whatever you think about yourself, whatever other people have said about you, however low down you feel like you might be, you are created in the image of God and you have eternal value and eternal worth and God loves you and he sent Jesus to come and die on the cross for your sins. He values you and he meets you right where you are. So he will, he will meet you in whatever kind of mess you've got going on, whatever mess you're aware of, he will meet you in that and receive you just as you are. And and in that moment of receiving you just as you are, he he says to you, I love you and you belong to me, and he adopts you into his family, and you really become his for all eternity. You become his. You do not... Don't ever let anybody tell you that somehow you've gotta clean yourself up in some way to be acceptable to God. You don't have to clean yourself up to be acceptable to him. You don't have to get your stuff together about, or if I could just get over this thing or just get this right in my life, that's like none of that. He meets you right where you are because until he steps in and brings his power to bear on your life, that whatever hump you're trying to get over, that thing you're trying to fix, good luck. But when you find yourself ready to say, I am a mess and I need to be rescued. He comes running to that and he meets you right where you are and when you become his there's this family expectation that you begin to be transformed. Notice my grammar. Be transformed. Passive. You, You can't transform yourself. You can't you can't make yourself anything of spiritual benefit or spiritual value to you, but you could let God do that for you. And that's why we talk in terms of just saying yes. It's just saying the next yes to what God is holding out to you, what he's offering to you. And so some of us, that first yes might be the one that needs to be said this weekend of just yes, I'm a mess, and I've, like, I'm done trying to clean this all up myself, and Jesus, I want you to be my savior. Rescue me, meet me here in this mess where I am. And as he meets you, this is, I think it's awesome. He doesn't leave you in the mess. Whatever mess you are in, he doesn't leave you there. It's It's not his desire for you that you would stay where he found you, where you found him. He doesn't want you to stay there. of clay, this life and light that he's given to you, he has given you, he has given you every resource you need to take those next steps. So, So when you and I find ourselves in a place where we've met him and we're saying yes to him and for whatever reason we're stuck in the mud He is giving us every necessary divine resource to be able to get, like to walk with him out of the mud. And and so what you and I get to do is say yes and we get to walk out of the mud and he expects that of us. He expects us to walk out of the mud with him. And he expects us as we're walking out of the mud There are people around us who are stuck in the same kind of mud or maybe a little different kind of mud than we've been in. And we have life and light and we know who walks you out of the mud. And so he has this, like he expects us to minister his life and light to the people who are around us. And that, that creates a little bit of tension of this divine acceptance and that he would expect. But he doesn't expect you to do it yourself. He, he expects you to walk with him and to let him, just to be saying the next yes and to, to take the next step that he has in front of you. And so we have this divine acceptance and this divine expectation, the tension that we feel in our lives. And Years ago, I used to speak on this subject and I would work hard to relieve that tension for people. I think I'm gonna let us sit in it From here, you're welcome. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, It's an—I think it's something we need to feel and to wrestle with. Of, right? I have—I have this treasure. It's in a jar of clay, and I am being rescued. Not like I got rescued once. You do get rescued once, but I am—I am being rescued, and my Savior, Lord, Judge, Rewarder expects me to say yes to him and walk with him out of this. And so we, we have this tension to live in, but there's also some relief that comes with the standing before Jesus in eternity, the other side of death, and this relief is twofold. One is that you don't have to be anybody else's judge some of you are extremely disappointed by that. Um, but you don't have to be anybody else's judge. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to worry about, there's, there's stuff that God worries about that he'll take care of that he's taking care of. And, and he's never once looked at another human being and said, hey, you know, outside of like establishing governing authority for you know, the big picture governing authority, he's never looked at me and said, hey, you're their pastor, you need to be their judge. He's never looked at me and said that. He's never looked at you and said, hey, you're their mom, you're their dad, you're their neighbor, you're their coworker, you're their classmate, and you need to be their judge. He's never, he's never, like, he doesn't say that. And when we realize that we're nobody's judge, that, that takes a tremendous weight off of what, what living out our own faithfulness and full of faithness means. You can get really wrapped around the axle and waste a lot of time and energy trying to be somebody else's judge. And, and he never asks you to be anybody else's judge. The other thing that's really cool is that nobody else is your judge. Some of us let people judge us as if their judgment carries some kind of eternal weight. Doesn't. So I'm not gonna diminish how that makes us feel when somebody else is critical or mean or judgy towards us, That, but give it the weight that it has. It's temporal weight, it's not eternal weight. And they're not your judge. Someday you're gonna stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he's gonna judge you, but they're He's not gonna look at anybody else and say, hey, what do you think? Right, I mean, he's, he's got this. He's really good at judging. With mercy and grace and tenderness and fairness and justice, one of the great promises of the scripture is that when Jesus steps, like when he's done, when he's judged humankind, we're all gonna look at each other and look at him and go, oh, now it's right. He's gonna make it right so so you don't have to be anybody else's judge and you don't have to be subject to anybody else's judgment because you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ so so the semi practical thing that I've that I've been mulling over for a little bit as I've been preparing for this weekend talk this talk with you is I keep going back to to the words there in Verse nine, right, as he starts to introduce this judgment seat of Christ thing, he says, so we make it our goal to please him. And I think something that might be helpful for us is is just to kind of put a blank there. So we make it our goal to please, right? So we make it our goal to please, and as you're evaluating and trying to figure stuff out and thinking through, I'm gonna answer to Jesus someday for the life and the light that He's given to me. What's what's really clear, Jesus is really interested in your heart and in your motives. And not so much the behavior, especially if you're trying to cover up bad motives. Like he's he's interested in heart and motives, and so we have this question. So we make it our goal. It is my aim to please. And when you think about the big picture of your life, when you think about those decisions that you have to make, when you think about how you spend time, energy, money, you start processing through your life. So we make it our goal to please me, somebody else. We make it our goal to please him. And and the coolest part of this whole deal, the coolest part of this whole deal is is living, like when we make it our goal to please him, what well, we get to participate in. So we make it our goal to please him, and we have this life and light that he has given to us, and when our goal is to please him, that life and light is, like it's on full, just full blast inside of us with, the, with all the peace and the love and the joy that that produces, and we get to participate in that life and light in the people who are around us and ministering that to them and seeing what that looks like as, as they light up and as they receive what they've been made to receive, we get to participate in that and we get to live this life that is full of, you know, because in that moment at that judgment seat, for those who've lived in a way that pleases Jesus, what they get in that is a statement, well done, like, well done, way to go. But you don't have to wait your entire life into eternity to hear a well done from him. So as you're living out this this life and light, you get these little whispers of that big statement that's gonna be made someday of well done, knowing that you're pleasing your Lord, your Savior, your judge, your rewarder, like you get to participate in all that. And then you get to eternity and he's gonna reward you there. And he didn't have to do the first part of any of this. And he heaped he, it's grace upon grace upon grace that you and I get to participate in because he loves us. And because he wants more for us than what we choose for ourselves. He wants better for us than what we would choose for ourselves. He wants he wants you to experience not just life, but purpose and meaning and hope and future. And so he says to you, hey, there's a day coming. There's a day coming when, when I'm gonna be your judge and you're gonna stand before me and you're gonna answer for all this and I'm gonna reward you for the yeses that you say. So, so we're gonna be people who say yes because that is the way that leads, like that is the way that leads to life. We're gonna be people who say yes. So I wanna pray for you guys. I wanna pray that for you. And then after I pray, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a little benediction over you. And I wanna remind you, this is, I pray for us. After this service, there'll be prayer leaders who are down here at the front in person and those of you who are online, you can hit the need prayer button and your prayer host will chat with you and pray over you online. But if there's, if there's something here that you're wrestling with that resonates from our time together today or if it's just something you brought to this service, um, this would be a great place to leave it is with your with prayer leaders, whether here or online. So let me pray for us. Would you guys bow your head and close your eyes with me? So Father, we thank you for your love for us, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Thank you that um, perfect love drives out fear. So conversation like this can generate fear. I pray that your perfect love drives fear from each one of our hearts, each one of our minds. Remind us of who you are, what kind of father you are to us, what kind of God you are over us. Jesus, you died for us. That you would, that you would sit in judgment over us with that kind of love and that kind of care for us. You've got us. So I pray that this is just your grace would would cover us in that. And I pray that we would be yes people. That we would we would walk in the way that you have for us that. That your life and light would just spill out of our lives into the lives of those who are around us. That our this one and only life that we get to live, that it would count for all eternity. Because we've said yes. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so if you guys who are in the room, if you would please stand. This is Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 12. I just like to read this over you. So from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So may God bless you guys, have a great weekend.